Hello everybody and welcome back to another week of the Weekly Wilson Podcast. I am your apparently excessively loud host, Brian Wilson. And I'm your sneaky co-host, Sydney Stripling, soon to be Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> sneaking right in there. Our usual, my usual co-host, um, sub-host, Jay Wilson, is currently in Portugal across the pond, so... Um, Sid- snuck right in there. Sydney snuck in there. Couldn't do it alone. Didn't want to leave you guys hanging for another week, so here we are. I have to say it is very awkward recording a podcast in person. With just two people. Usually there's a screen, so it's like I feel like I'm talking more formally than I need to. I know. I feel like we've done a podcast in person with multiple, like me, you, Jay, Taylor, and it was more natural, but now <laughs> I'm just like, must stare at Brian. Yeah, it kind of feels like an awkward date. Yeah. Where you're trying to make a lot of eye contact. Very really cement yourself in their memory. Stop. Or I guess if you're making really a lot of con- eye contact, you're trying to cement them in your memory. Yeah, correct. Because you're not looking at yourself. Yeah. But we're not on an awkward date. We're hosting a podcast. We are way past dating. Yeah. So. I. What happened in your week, Brian? I know. We really can't recap our weeks because we did everything together. Recap it together. But yeah. So instead of me telling you about my week... We can tell them about our week. So I feel like there were two major highlights. Alright. As you can as you can see on my notes here. Oh yeah. Big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you even look at the notes? <laughs> so, uh, more progression for our van that I've mentioned a couple times on the podcast already. We have the van in our driveway. We've started making physical progress. Up until now, it's just been brainstorming and thinking and drawing things. But this past week, we actually installed the vent fan in the roof. So we got the van and immediately cut a hole in the roof and went to town. Terrifying. Yeah. The very first thing we do is cut a huge hole in our roof. Mm It's so scary. Yeah. But it went well, I would say. What would you say? I feel like you were struggling to hold back just okay. anxiety the whole time. Now, you told me that I did a really good job. You did do a really good job. If I was worried, you had no idea. Yeah, but I, I still got the sense that I was like, this is out of character. <laughs> I'm more scared of the situation than I was. And like watching you drill a hold or like saw a hole in the roof of our van, aka our home. Mm-hmm. But... It really didn't bother me at all. Yeah. We even drilled two holes in the very wrong places. Yeah. And, and you didn't did, you didn't freak out at all. That's when I was the most astonished. I was like, she's really holding it together here. Well, it still covers it up, so it's fine. So I feel like that was okay. But I don't know. Yeah. I felt a lot more calm than I thought I would. And part of it was because it was a cluster. Because we got the wrong blades and they kept mm-hmm. falling through and... It allowed a good opportunity for teamwork, though. Yeah. yeah, I got the wrong blades for the jigsaw, so every time I would cut, like, one inch of metal, and then the blade would pop out and fall in the van. So I'd load up the next one, I had five. And I would just keep doing that, and then I'd say, Sydney, reload! It was a whole ordeal. But I was actually, it felt okay, and the fan looks really good, and it's a very snug fit. Ain't yeah. nothing getting through there. Yeah. I made sure to cut the hole too small on purpose, because that's always better than too big. Yeah. So, first big step in the van. Yeah. So you weren't holding back 
No, I just really... Emotions, you just felt nothing. Yeah. You were dead inside. I was excited. <laughs> I was excited that we were doing it, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh. It's not like when you put holes on our house. I don't know why it's so different. Yeah. But I think going into it, I'm like, I know that we're going to have to really go crazy on this van to make it livable. Mm -hmm. So I think I know that we have to cut holes and put this here and, you know, all these things are going to have to happen to it for it to be livable. Yeah. And then our in our home, it was already livable. And plus, our home was brand new. So it was a lot harder for me to want to puncture holes. That's fair. Yeah, the van has a little wear and tear on yeah. it. But but also a hole in the house is like relative to total volume. I know. It's so much smaller. Yeah. And also if we put a hole in the wrong place in the house, it's like, oh, that hole looks bad. We'll have to fix it. If we put a hole in the wrong place in the van, it'll leak and rust and fall apart and explode. Yeah, except you've, you know, informed me that everything will be fine. Yeah. There's nothing that you can't come back from. Really? Because your last statement makes it sound like you can't come back from something. No, I'm just trying to make you more nervous. You're the worst. Because it's more fun when you are. And moving on, the other thing that happened this week was our friend Tom and Colleen had their baby. Yeah, first baby. First baby, Miss Evelyn Marie, and she's going to go by Evie, and she's so stinking cute. We got to go meet her. Mm -hmm. It was adorable. Yeah. That's the smallest human I've ever held. Yeah, she was itty-bitty, six pounds, six ounces, mm -hmm. which is pretty small. Yeah, pretty fresh out the oven, too. Yeah, so she was born on... Monday or or Tuesday of last week, and then we went and saw her this past Saturday. Mm -hmm. And she, yeah, she's fresh baby. Yeah. And if drilling holes in vans stresses you out, holding babies stresses me out. Yeah. Because I'm like, its neck is basically a pool noodle. <laughs> and then you're sitting there holding it, and you're like, is it breathing? Yeah. I can't tell if it's breathing. And then she goes, and I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Splat. <laughs> Because I'm like, I don't know, picture a scenario where you're sitting there holding a baby and you give it back and they're like, it's not breathing. I was like, I didn't do it. I, <laughs> that happens like that. It, it could happen. It could, but... I'm That's where my mind goes. I'm like, every time I'm holding a baby, my the first the thought in the front of my mind is, do not kill this baby. <laughs> they're a lot tougher than you think. I know they are. And they have to be, because if they weren't... Yeah. If they weren't durable, then we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. Plus, Colleen was watching you like a hawk. I know, yeah. It. I held Evie for probably like 15, 20 minutes before she finally like took her last hand off her baby. So, I know she was in good hands. I know they're harder to break than you think. <laughs> but she was really sweet. But it's still really stressful. Yeah. And apparently, Tom and Colleen are doing really well with it, too. Yeah. They're doing great. Getting lots of sleep. Mm -hmm. So that's good. I saw Tom at his workplace yesterday. Yeah. Because I went to pick up a shop vac to work on the van. Is it shop vac or shop vac? I think it's shop with a P. Because you, you use it to vacuum your shop. I've always thought it was shop vac. Huh. I even texted you shop vac. Oh, did you? I thought it was just like an autocorrect typo or something. Interesting. That makes so much more sense. We'll have to get Scotty to fact check that because I might be wrong. It's kind of the same as, uh, I don't know if you ever hear people talk about them, but in the engineering nuclear industry, <laughs> we talk about sea land containers a lot, which is a shipping container, basically. Uh -huh. so apparently they're called sea lands, but I don't know if it's like letter C hyphen L-A-N 
or like C hyphen L A N D, or I've also seen people write it out like C like the ocean hyphen land. Interesting. Because they go on boats, so it's like sea land. I think that makes sense. Sea land container. But I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Well, shop vac makes a lot more sense than shot vac. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. I guess that's the lesson for the week. So, is there anything else we want to recap? No, I feel like that was our week, basically. A lot of planning for the game, too. Yep. Got the new Mario Kart courses. We've been watching AOT. Yeah. Religiously. Probably just a lot of stuff that isn't interesting to listeners. So, I kind of figured the recap would go a lot quicker without Jay, because... <laughs> no, uh, no visits out to the tangent pasture. Well, we did get on the shot back versus shot back and sea land yeah. topic, so... I think I'm filling in for his shoes pretty well. Okay. Yeah. But even tangents included, we're only at, like... Nine minutes. We got this. So, but we do need it to be a short episode so that we can go watch Attack on Titan. Right. So, I guess we can mosey on over to Subject Zone. The end. The end. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, hold my hand because it's a it's a, kind of a tricky path to get there if you haven't been there before. So. The end. No, to the uh, Subject Zone. <laughs> Brian's obsessiveness with money, he has started reading some different books. And I think he's even mentioned on the podcast that he was reading Psychology of Money, but recently he's been reading a book called Die with Zero. So it has changed a lot of things in our day-to-day lives. So we thought maybe we would talk about what it is, what the book is, what mind thoughts Brian has on it, and how it's affected our lives. Yeah. But before we get to that, I gotta put you on blast real quick. Since you since you brought up psychology of money. Don't you dare put me on blast. Say <laughs> that I haven't read it yet, but I'm reading another dang book you want me to read. Well, the other book so I don't want you to read. <laughs> you wanted me to read in the first place. Well, one of the books that I don't want you to read, you're not even touching right now, so I don't even care. What book do you want me to read? The Moral Instruments. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just, that's a one-way street. See, you were reading, we're good. We don't need to go into this. <laughs> anyway, so Brian, tell me about Die With Zero. I also am astonished that uh, it was your idea to talk about Die With Zero, and I feel like I was of the opinion that you were sick of me talking about it, because the other night when we were with our friends, and I said, so I've been reading this book, Die With Zero, I heard you audibly laugh behind me. Well, money is always a hot topic for you anyways. Anytime people bring it up, you'll talk to them about it, which is great because I think people don't talk about money or how they manage money ever. Mm-hmm. And so you've been reading this Dive Zero book, and since you've been back, I mean, anytime we see any of the friends that you haven't seen in a while, you make a Dive Zero in that conversation somehow. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it, but every time, and it always starts with, so I've been reading this book. And so after the week or two that we've been home, that we've been seeing all our friends, you keep saying, so I've been reading this book. So every time that happens, I'm like, oh boy. Yep. But it's a really good book. At least I haven't read it. <laughs> I have a digest version from Brian. Actually, probably a very longer version from Brian. Maybe. But 
its concepts and thoughts have really played into the last few weeks and planning of our lives. So I think it was exciting for us to talk about on a podcast. Yeah. So the overarching concept of the book, um, not a sponsor, by the way, I just really like the book, but uh, the overarching concept is kind of, as it says, die with zero. So that's just kind of the kind of radical tagline to get you roped in, because the idea is spend all your money so that you die with zero dollars in the bank account. Um, but that idea kind of stems from the idea that you want to maximize your experience of life, like your experiences and just what you get out of life. And essentially money is like you spend your life earning money because then money acts as the medium for you to create experiences in life. So, um, yeah, money is just like the middleman kind of to create experiences. So if you die with any money that you didn't use, then that's part of your life that you spent earning that money, doing something probably that you would rather be doing something else. And then you didn't cash it in. It's like going to the arcade, winning a bunch of tickets, and then just not getting anything from the prize booth. So he says you should strive to die with zero. And there's a lot of nuance with that with like, oh, shouldn't you like leave stuff for your kids? And you got to have like a safety net just in case and blah, blah, blah. And the book goes into all that, but that's not really the aspect of it that I want to go into because uh, I wanted to look more at the experiences side and the best way to uh, get the most experiences you can out of life because it takes a lot more planning and a lot more strategy than you would think. So I started looking at that with just like, what do I want to do in my life? Can I do it all? When should I do it all? All that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the overarching idea. So you brought this idea to me and we were talking about it and you were basically saying, I want to make a life plan of the things that we want to do in the future. So what's on your bucket list? Let's talk through it. And at what points in our lives do we want to do these things? Pre-kids, during kids, post-kids, old, young, next few years. So I thought it was really interesting to go into both of our bucket lists and just what we wanted to accomplish together and try and map it out on this timeline that goes by five years yeah so we broke we took our bucket list because everyone has an idea of what they want to do in their life you have like oh i want to do this someday i want to go here someday um whenever the opportunity arises and a lot of people don't do it when they're young because they're like oh well this is the most important time to save and then by the time you have ample savings, then you have kids. And it's like, oh, well, we don't want to go now because we have kids. And then you get old and you're like, okay, well, now I don't want to go because I'm old. And then you're about to die or you're in your golden years, your end of days. And you're like, wow, never did that. Uh, and yeah, because there's different factors that allow you to do different things. So when you're young, obviously you have a lot of energy and willingness to do things. So at that time in your life, you can enjoy a lot of experiences. When you have kids, there's still enjoyable experiences to have, but they have to be in a different context. It's like a different time of life. And then when you're old, there's still experiences you can still enjoy, um, but they're not going to be the same as when you're young. You're going to be more inclined to go on a cruise than to go on a ski trip. So when you take your bucket list and actually try to fit it into the different phases of your life, it can really kind of open your eyes. Did it, did it do that for you at all? Did you yeah, get any of that? I did. It feels like our kid period is very non-exciting, which sounds, you know, not as in having kids isn't going to be exciting. We're going to enjoy it. But it's very, like, 
we were talking about some of the things we want to accomplish. We were both like, wow, we want to do this while we're young without kids. We need to do this soon. This is nuts. How mm-hmm. are we going to do this soon? And I think it opened my eyes up. There are a lot of things that I want to do when I am young with no kids. And so it kind of opened up my eyes to be like, well, when do we actually want to have kids? Yeah. So it kind of changed what we originally thought. Mm-hmm. I really liked this idea and process because most of my patients tell me all the time that the one advice they want to give me, these you know 50 to 80-year-old people, is go live your life while you're young. Because mm-hmm. once you're old, it's not exciting. And you think you're going to go do it when you retire, and then you retire and have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So I've been on the bandwagon of do things while you're young. So this was fun to map out what we really wanted to accomplish specifically. And I think it only opened my eyes in the idea of, wow, there's a lot of things I want to do when we're young. Yeah. And that's kind of, uh, I think, where most people arrive is, wow, here's all these experiences I should be doing while I'm young which then really conflicts with the idea of save as much as you can when you're young because time is your biggest ally. So then I will go somewhat into the nuance of the book here because his take on the author's take on that is that um, when you're young, also your earning power is the lowest it's going to be. So even if you're saving as much as you can when you're young, it won't amount to as much as you can save at the later stages in your career. And he has like some really powerful anecdotes to illustrate that and kind of uh, exemplify it really, like really hit it home. Because I know that's so contrary to anything that any financial planner or advisor would ever tell you, but it kind of makes you more confident in the whole having experiences. Yeah. And it was just so strange to hear Brian coming to me about these things because ever since I've met you, it's save all the money, don't spend money, and you got to put it into all your retirements. You need to invest all this. I mean, you need to live like dogs while we're young. And making you spend money is like pulling teeth. But you reading this book, of course, there's a happy medium. You don't want to go below all your money, but you don't want to save every single penny and not enjoy your long, young life. So it's been kind of a joy to watch you try and tread that in the middle. And I'm just along for the ride because (laughs) I'm like, yay, we get to spend money. Yeah. And I'm glad you're so like flexible with me too, because I know I am very, well, I don't know. I, I think a lot about money. I'm maybe not as particular with money as people might think. I just enjoy like the game of it all. Um, But yeah, to your point, the author does mention also like when he first kind of adopted this strategy or this uh, concept, yeah, this mindset, he was like, I went overboard and had to dial it back. But like, I'm where I am now. Um, And the other thing was, yeah, just you seeing me go through this because the immediate uh, repercussions of me reading this book, I would say, is we were kind of on the fence about going back to Ohio for this uh, cabin trip we're going on. We do it every year. And it's kind of the same thing every year, Um, but it's still fun to go see everybody. Um, It's a very unique vibe with those people. It's like really one of the only places at this phase in my life that I can just cut loose and get super drunk and be a total idiot with some of my best friends. Yeah, it's like a a little glimpse back to college. Um, But even if it is kind of similar every year and I'm like, oh, I've had that experience already. I don't need to go do that again. Um it's still a unique experience that I'm not going to be able to have for my whole life. So um, even if it's something I've already done, I still want to do it as much as I can while I can. 
which actually got me thinking, I'm going to kind of switch directions here, because um, recently I was thinking about, yeah, like, how many times do you need to have an experience, or, like, what is enough, or when do you, when do you know you're done with an experience? I was thinking about it in the context of, in college, you can always go out to the bars with your friends, probably do it, like, I don't know, hundreds of times, maybe, throughout college, but then... I was thinking when you reflect on college, does it matter if you did it 100 times or 500 times? Or does just the memory of that time of your life? Because no matter, no matter how many times you do it, if you do it 100 times or 500 times, when you graduate college and leave, looking back, you're always going to say, man, I wish I could do that one more time. Regardless. Just because you miss it and you can't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I look back at my college days and hear about yours and was like, wow, I wish I did stuff like that. And I remember choosing not to do those things. And looking back, I'm just like, wow, I really wish I would have done that. I can't do that anymore. So I was all for the trip to, you know, this cabin that we're going to hang out with your friends because that's an opportunity that I did not get to experience very often. And it's valuable to me because we mm -hmm. can't do it forever. Yeah, that's true. I guess I never really got around to it, but we were on the fence about this Ohio trip. And then one day I was basically just like, well, whatever it costs, let's just do it because we're not going to be able to do this forever. <laughs> Asking, okay, what do you, because originally it was going to be Cincinnati, but I was like, all right, we're going to Cincy. Are we going to do this? And you're like, I don't know. I kind of don't want to. Mm -hmm. And then you started reading Die With Zero and you would talk about it a little bit more. And then you would come to your realization and you're like, yeah, I want to do it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. Yep, definitely heavily influenced by the literature. But yeah, even I can see it already. Like every year when we go to plan this trip, people are like, eh, I don't know. And I don't know. Maybe this year is different because there's a lot of weddings going on. People are already traveling a lot and spend, spending a lot of money on other things. But it also might just be an artifact of uh, the truth that we're getting older and it's not as appealing to everybody. Yeah. And maybe the trip still exists, but it's not going to be the same. Even now, it's not the same as it was in college. Just because... It transforms. You get older, things become more important than others. Yeah. It's already happening, which is just more of a reminder that you need to enjoy the experiences you can have when you're young, while you're young. So yeah. But then it also makes me wonder what sorts of experiences during the kid phase are unique to that phase, because obviously there's a lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> but like during the kid phase, your parents are making those choices for you mm -hmm. most of the time. Oh, I mean the us having kids phase. <laughs> the parent phase, rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know one thing we put on there was you said you want to go to Disney World slash land, whichever one. In Florida. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's expensive. We could do it now. But we'll have more money later. And we'll probably still enjoy it later. And also, we can bring kids with us. Yeah, but I want to go to Harry Potter World, and I don't know how long it'll be there. Get crunk on butterbeer? Yeah. I think Harry Potter World's going to be there forever. Like, you know, I I would be so mad if we were like, we can do this when we are 40s, and then we wait, and Harry Potter World left. I guess Harry Potter is, like, not... It's our generation. Yeah, like, there's no new Harry Potter coming out. Yeah. There still kind of is. Anyways, we put that in the sooner category, but we put the California one later. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah, because you want to make sure you get to Harry Potter World. And I just want to go to California's Disney Land World. At some point in life. I think it's Disney Land. Disney California Land. <laughs> Disney California Land World. Disney Florida. Florida. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're like, we want to go on cruises. Cruises are super fun, but you can enjoy a cruise when yes. you're 70. So we push that to the end of the end of the line. And then a cool one that you came up with that you wanted to do is all the major marathons. Yeah, so that was an interesting one because I want... So all the world major marathons are Boston, New York, Chicago. There's three in the U.S. And then London, Berlin, and Tokyo. So we were talking about it would be cool for the international ones not to just go there for the race and come back, but to go there and like live there for a month Mm-hmm. And just kind of, like, experience the culture, kind of get to know the neighborhoods and stuff. Like, actually live there a little bit to some extent. And we're like, well, we couldn't do that with kids. So, yeah. and I don't know if I'll be able to run a marathon when I'm 60. So, probably got to do that sooner. Yeah. But then the ones in the U.S., we can, we, it would be easier to take our kids to. We wouldn't have to, we wouldn't do like a month trip. That could just be a weekend or a week trip, maybe. That's a lot easier to bring kids on. And I'll probably be able to do a marathon when I'm 40 or 50. I hope. Yeah. We'll see. But so those ones can wait a little later, which is counter to the logic that someone might use that says, oh, I'll do the US ones when I'm younger because they're cheaper. And I'll do the international ones mm-hmm. later because I'll have more money. Uh, and maybe like more PTO to take and stuff like that. But when you think about what you want to get out of each experience and frame it that way instead, it can change your thinking Yeah. about how and when you want to do things. And I think it's nuts because I just had this conversation with Jeff of how generations are so different. And I feel like this Dive Zero book would make like our parent generation, your dad not included, maybe. <laughs> But, like, our parent generation, like, scoff and be like, you actually want to just blow your money while you're young or blow your time and not commit to this company and make all this money and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And it makes me really happy that we are striving to make sure that we truly enjoy life. Because what's the point of having money if you didn't enjoy any of it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, That's the point of the book. Yeah. Yep. But it definitely does also... uh reflect a little bit on when you grew up and uh really what like what family what socioeconomic class you grew up with and what time period because i'm now really getting my eyes opened to the idea that our entire adult lives the like five or eight years or whatever that we've been taking care of ourselves the economy has done nothing but go up it's been great inflation is low the like unbelievable gains on the stock market and we're like of course like save invest whatever we're going to be able to retire so early like we should live it up now we're on a great track but now we're kind of getting our eyes open to ooh, inflation ooh, our grocery bill doubled the last week and ooh, like we're not getting gains on our investments month to month anymore they're going down yeah so that's definitely a reality to live with so then i can understand people wanting to have some sort of cushion or something in the bank but then um, I don't want to get, again, I don't want to get too into the, all the technicalities of the book, but there's a lot of research and just stats that show that most people who save for retirement end up not even dipping into their retirement or barely burning through it because you don't get to 
people don't start redeeming their retirement until they're old. And when you're old, you just don't spend as much money because there's not as many things you can do. And you, you just... Most things are paid off. Yeah, you just have less energy. And another interesting point I heard recently, not from the book, is just the fact that uh, when people are older, they're less inclined to get new things because they're like, there's more of the sentimental attachment to, oh, I've had that forever. And then also they're like, well, I'm not going to be here that much longer. So do I need to get a new couch? Which is so depressing. Yeah, yeah but it just uh, reinforces the idea that when you're old, you save all this money for when you're old. And then when you're old, you don't spend money. Yeah, so then it sits there, and then you die, and then you pass it to the kids, and then you don't get to see those kids enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing. It talks a lot about giving your money away before you die, because then you can do it with more intention. Which I actually really liked that yeah. concept, because, you know, when your parents pass away, your grandparents, they give you all this money, and then they don't get to see how you enjoy it, mm -hmm. or, you know, what you use it for, or anything like that, so... Yeah, I really liked that concept. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, if you like that concept, oh I'll speak more on it. Okay. <laughs> because uh, the average age of someone who inherits, oh, yeah. like receives inheritance, is 60. Which seems ridiculous, but also the average age to have kids is around 20. So, And the average age that someone dies is 80. So it kind of makes sense that they would die when they're 80, give it to their kid who's 60 now. And a 60-year-old doesn't really need inheritance. They probably have their life pretty set up at that point, and they're good. It's nice, and they're like, okay, cool, more for my retirement now, I guess. Or now that they are retired, maybe, at that point. But they're like, I don't need this money. It would have been really nice when I was in my 30s trying to buy my first home. Yeah, or so then that's what it goes on to say, is it, um, it's much more useful in your 20s and 30s there are so many stories of people receiving their inheritance and they're like wow i wish i would have had this when i was living paycheck to paycheck and couldn't keep food on the table but now i have it now that i'm living an average 60 year old life and i'm unhealthy and can't go on the trips i can't spend this money i guess i'm just going to save it and pass it on to my kids and the cycle continues Something else this book opened our eyes to is, okay, you have all these things that you want to do. You plan out your life and how you want to accomplish them. And then you have to thinking about, okay, am I going to be healthy enough to do these things? And if so, or how do I make sure I'm still healthy? So I feel like it added a whole nother element to our conversations about what we're going to do moving forward to determine, to make sure that we're healthy enough to be able to do the things we want to do. Yeah. And the big part of that, yeah, is what things do you want to do? How healthy do you need to be? Yeah. Because I, uh, there's one guy I follow who just mentions that when he's older, he's like, I just want to be able to play with my grandkids. I want to be able to pick up my grandkids and like play in the yard with them. So he's like, I don't need to be an athlete. I don't need to be able to like run for miles or lift these heavy weights. I just want to be able to play with my grandkids. But that in its own is something you have to work to achieve to still have that like full range of motion, be able to like maybe a little bit of explosivity to like hop around when you're 60, 70, who knows. Um, so he started just doing a fitness class that was purely just for mobility and flexibility, just to like keep your joints well-oiled, keep your muscles working, like just a little bit of movement so that you're not sitting in a couch all day and then have trouble getting out of a chair. Because if you have trouble getting out of a chair, it's going to be hard to play with your grandkids. Yeah. 
Like being able to get off the floor. Yeah. So I thought. All this in the biz. Activities of daily living. There you go. We got a professional with us today, folks. But yeah, really just put that into perspective too. So I'm like, I want to be able to run a marathon when I'm 50. So that kind of sets my perspective. But then it's like, well, how fast do I want to be able to run a marathon? Do I still need to be doing mile repeats and long progressive runs? Or do I just need to make sure I can <laughs> suffer through 26 miles? Nail it down. Exactly. I do think just this meaningful conversation and idea brought in so many things besides money that I didn't expect it to mm -hmm. and our aspirations and things like that that had nothing to do with money but made us talk about it because of this book. Yeah. Always good conversations to have. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of the idea that people should just be more open and comfortable to talk about money in general. Which is why I like when you do talk to people about it, especially in our age group. I just feel like more, I wish more people, and I think our age group is actually more comfortable talking about it than mm -hmm. the generation right above us or our parents. Yeah. Which is nice, but it is important. Yep. I do have to be careful though, because I realize I, <laughs> the way I look at money is almost like a religion, I feel like. Like the... <laughs> how much I care about it and how strongly I feel about it. So I have to be careful when I'm talking to people. I'm like, me talking to them about money right now probably feels like someone trying to push their religion on them. Yeah. <laughs> because people are also, uh, may or may not, I suppose, feel strongly about how they handle their money. They might think what they're doing is right. And if someone says, you should spend all your money for experiences while you're young, they'll be like, why in the world would I do that? That's counter to everything I've ever heard. And it can be offensive. Yeah. And like you're telling them they're not living their life right. So I, I understand why it's a touchy subject, but I think it should be one of those things where... It's not so taboo. Yeah. Where people should be able to talk about it with an open mind, realize there's many different ways to handle your money and live your life, and say, oh, that's cool, you do it that way. I do it this way for these reasons, and that makes me happy. Yeah, and it's like hearing both sides and then making a group decision in those instances. Not that you're actually a group, but just being able to hear other opinions and mm -hmm. your own. And I think money and a few other things are extremely difficult to do that with. The funny thing about you is you do this thing of you'll say a statement and you won't even believe the statement. Hmm. And, you, and then you'll ask a question about it. And you do this in all aspects. Yeah. But that's something that you do with money sometimes that I'm just like... Does Brian actually believe this? I'm not really sure if I ask. So yeah. I think you would come at it from just wanting to know mm -hmm. in general. And I think most people understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, and we're kind of getting off the money topic, but the open mind that I think everyone should have the money conversation with, that's, <laughs> I do just think everyone should have that approach to everything. Yeah. I think people should be able to say like, listen to someone's point of view and say, wow, that's a really interesting point of view. Have you thought about this? Or why do you think that? Or what about this contradiction? And just like have that conversation without feeling attacked. Yeah, it's like questions to learn and grow, but most people view questions mm -hmm. as questioning their morals and thoughts versus yeah. just curiosity. Yeah, it's like I'm not attacking you, I'm just curious. Yep. But that's kind of off topic. To get back on topic, um... Maybe the last point, if you don't have any others, um, is the idea of 
people have all these ideas of where they want to go, what they want to do. And it's like, oh, well, once I save up enough money, then we can go do it. And I remember when we put out all our um, bucket list things on our timeline of when we were going to do them. And there's a lot of big ticket items, like all these cruises, these Disneyland trips, these expensive trips to other countries for marathons and stuff. And it's like, wow, can we afford all this? But then to put it into perspective, that's over your whole lifetime. And if you look at any individual thing, it's probably not more than a couple thousand dollars at the most. So it really puts it into perspective that you're like, okay, there's, let's say, 30 items on here. If each one costs $2,000, which some might be a little more, but some are going to be way less, then that's $60,000 to spend on these things. Do you think you're going to have $60,000 of disposable income throughout your entire life at some point? I would bet on yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and when we were going over this and you pointed that out, because I know that us looking at our timeline, our first 10 years that we planned, I was like, oh my goodness, this can be so expensive. This is scary. This is so many things. And then you were just talking about how, you know, it's probably not going to be that expensive. And then when you spread it out over that timeline, it's really not that mm -hmm. time. Because then you're like, well, we have this time period when we have kids where we might not do as many extravagant things. They're not as expensive. So it was just, when you put it that way, it makes you feel a lot more comfortable about what you're trying to mm -hmm. do. Because a lot of times I know I do this. I look at something and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're not going to have enough money. Yeah. And all the time you joke about, I always ask you, do we have enough money? Or <laughs> um, So it's when you put it in that perspective and plan it out, you can see how much money you're going to spend over time. And it makes it feel better and make more sense. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, oh, you might spend $60,000 for excitement in your life, totally worth it. Yeah. It seems like a paltry sum when you yeah. put it that way. That is basically a year of earnings for most people, you know? Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And even in that early phase when you're doing as many experiences as you can because you're young, like, yeah, you look at that front end and you're like, wow, this is a lot and I don't have a lot of money right now. But it's like a 10-year span. And if you look at all those things, you're like, this can't cost more than $10,000. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking from my position and experience that I'm like 10 years saving $10,000. That should be super easy. Right. Some people might be in different situations where that's a stretch, but... It's based on what you complete, how you operate in life. And so mm -hmm. you know that it's okay. Yeah. The main point is once you lay it out, it can... It puts it into perspective. Until you really lay it out and think about it, it's just this, it's a, a dream and not a goal. I really hope a lot of people could take from this and like make their own timeline of what they want to do. Yeah. It took us, what, 20 minutes maybe? I worked out while we made this. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah, I was riding the bike and you were typing on a computer. So it really wasn't that inclusive of information. It was just, what are your dreams? Mm -hmm. Let's put it on time plot. Yeah. And still now we'll think, oh, I want to put that on there. Yeah. And we can always go back to it, add more stuff, move stuff around. Right. Decide we don't want to have kids anymore. <laughs> Interesting times. Yeah. So that kind of sums up all the ways that Die With Zero has affected my perspectives and what I've been doing to Sydney. I just feel like I've been forcing Sydney through in the past few weeks. I feel like your mind was under lock and key and now it's kind of like cracked open. Mm-hmm. It is, it's the first time I've really dove deep into a perspective on money that hasn't 
generally aligned with what I've already thought, which is really cool to me because I, I don't know, it makes me wonder if there's more out there and I've just been so subscribed to this one way of thinking that I've been blind to everything else. How did you even come to read this book? Um, it was suggested by one of the podcasts I listened to. Oh, F.I. Yeah. That's right. Which is interesting because... You're totally, you know... Uh, yeah. There may be even more in <laughs> in my lane than yeah, I am. Invest now, live later. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, there's some nuance. It's like not to the point of uh, depriving yourself. Right. Like find a life balance that works for you, that you're happy with, while you're also saving as much as you can. Save as much as you can is a big piece of that. Yeah. So then this new perspective is just only save as much as you absolutely need to and spend the rest. But isn't there concept like live now like nobody else so later in life you can live like nobody else? That's another book. Mm. I, don't, I don't think that's exactly what... Uh, Kind of what Choose Fi is going after. I think it's the same general idea, but maybe yeah. not as intense. I do remember that tagline, but I can't remember what book it's from. I think it's Dave Ramsey. Okay. Yeah. But that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, Jay. I'm obliged to do the <laughs> Jay does the outro. Oh, no, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment the entire time. <laughs> The beginning, and I'm not up to date on the weekly loosen. Oh, boy. All right, guys. Well, that's what we got for today. My name's Sydney Stripling, soon to be Wilson. His name's Brian Wilson. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Wilson. Well, you didn't say until next week and unless otherwise noted. They are names. So, but what are we going to be until next week? I think it's fine that people be their own people. I'm going to forget my name immediately when we stop recording. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs>